Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. We're in a vision series as a church called Only God, where we're discovering that the plans and the dreams that we have for our lives are often small compared to what God desires to do in and through us. Enjoy the message. All right, Acts 12 is where we're going to be today. Acts chapter 12. And um, in in the book of Acts, we've been talking about everything rides off of Jesus commissioning his church. Hey, I want you to go be witnesses and there's two primary drivers, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. They have experienced firsthand Jesus, and they realize who they are in relationship to him. And then they're also empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and this drives everything that we experience. This drives uh, people coming to faith in Christ, people going all in, miraculous things, healings, teachings, the boldness that we see that marks the early church. Last week we talked about Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul in chapter 9. God gets a hold of him, transforms his heart. And in chapter 13 of Acts, he becomes just, he's set apart to be this missionary, becomes the greatest missionary, arguably, that the church has known. And uh, and then Acts chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Before we get to Acts 12 in in chapters 10 and 11, we see God uh, make a move to extend the good news from just the Israelites or just the Jewish people, just home crowd to, hey, take this to the Gentiles, take this to everybody. And so we just read that passage earlier, but Peter stands up and says, hey, this is a message. This is good news, and it's good news for everybody, and, and God's inviting. His table is, re- is really big. He's inviting everybody to his table. So there's exponential growth to the movement, and uh, the powers that be get frustrated with the amount of growth and the amount of momentum and the amount of excitement around the way of Jesus. And so Acts chapter 5, they've already imprisoned Peter and John, but miraculously, God lets them out of prison. Acts chapter 12, they imprison Peter again. And uh, before we hit the passage, uh, King Herod shows up in your Bible a, a number of times if you're new to Scripture or new to this character. But King Herod shows up in Acts chapter 12. And in Scripture, there's several so that we'll see. Um, this is the grandson of Herod the Great. This is the, the grandson of King Herod who tried to put infant Jesus to death. And, uh, and then his son uh, is the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. He was also King Herod. It's confusing. So King Herod who tried to kill Jesus, King Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. This is King Herod who killed James and who's trying to kill Peter. All that to say, if you have a kid uh, on the way, don't name him Herod, okay? So, it's more, so verse 1, here, here we go. Verse 1. And uh, it says this, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And then he saw that this this was met with approval among the Jews, among the religious gathering. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over 
to the guards uh, to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16 of them. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And so, again, uh, he's already been arrested in Acts chapter 5. And and here we see him in Acts 12, arrested again. Now he has two, two brothers chained to him and 16 people just watching him. You're a bad dude when you have, when you have two people chained to you and 16 people watching. He's not even armed. And but, he, but Herod remembers Acts 5. And he's like, hey, last time I put this joker in prison, he, just, uh, he was there one minute and then he wasn't there the next minute. I'm going to do everything I can so that we can make sure, like in my own strength and my own power, to make sure that he stays put, that he makes sure, make sure he stays in bondage. But, man, what, what I love about this part of the passage, how many of you know that, um, man, if God's hand is on you, if God has plans for your life, there's nothing stopping those plans. Like, it doesn't matter who changed you up. It doesn't matter how many people Herod throws at you. It doesn't matter what the obstacles look like. But, but God has a way. And so um, in, in, I love the book of Job. It's one of my favorite books, which is weird, but it is. And so Job 42 is this moment where Job, post-conversation with God, God's thoroughly rebuked Job. And, and he's having a moment where he's realizing really, again, who he is and, and, and what God's call is on his life. And he says this in Job 42, verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And this is right after he's gone through the most painful situation. He's lost everybody that he loves. He's lost all of his resources. He's lost his health. He's at the brink of death. And he has this realization that, God, you can do anything and I know that your purpose is outside of me. And this is right before God restores Job and redeems his life. And, but such a great revelation. And I think that we see it here is like, Peter, it looks like a pretty bleak situation for the local church. It definitely looks like not a good situation for Peter. He's awaiting execution. He's chained up in prison. And, uh, but man, I love that if God, if God calls you to a thing, if God, if God says a thing is going to happen. So if God's biblically, if God's, you need to just pay attention to his promises in his word, his promises for you as a follower of him. And, and if God speaks to you on a thing, man, just consider it done. And, and so much so for Peter that when we find Peter in this passage, Peter's asleep, like he's just chilling. And so, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know what your sleep is like, but like if I was awaiting execution, probably not that great. You know what I'm saying? So I, I can be a little bit stressed, a little bit anxious about some things, but, uh, but, but he's out and it's a hard situation, but God sees him in it. So here's the first thing we draw from it is it just God sees our trials. He sees our sufferings and God's already out in front of the problem. God's not worried He's not worried, and he already has a plan in motion and is ready to answer the prayers of his people. Uh, you need to be encouraged that God is with you. And so you might look at a passage and you think, man, God wasn't with James because James didn't make it. James died. And I used to, I used to be like, well, that's, you know, that's good for Peter. But James, you know, that. but if you read back, if you read your Bible in context, you read Matthew 20, there's this moment where James and John they go to Jesus. Actually, they don't go. Their mom goes. It was kind of a lame move. It was a little bit soft. But their mom goes on their behalf, James and John. They roll up to Jesus, and they ask, Lord, we want to sit on your right and your left when you step into your kingdom. 
So, man, we, we want the glory, we want the honor attached to this moment. Can we sit next to you when you step into this kingdom? And Jesus looks at him, he's like, you have no idea what you're asking. And so he says this, he says, are you able to drink from the cup that I drink from? Be baptized in the way that I'm baptized, referring to suffering and death. And both of them unknowing, to some degree they knew, but really not, not really. They both boldly said we're able and so uh, James is killed, and then John is exiled and imprisoned by Rome, and they get what they asked for. They get a special place in the kingdom by way of suffering. And here's the crazy thing. I don't think that they would have changed anything about it. I think, I think post, like if they said, hey, if you could go back and not be martyred for your faith, if you could go back and not be exiled, if you could go back, the whole early church, if you could go back and have your life again and not give your life for the sake of the gospel, would you? And they would have said, no, I would lay it down again. And so they're like, are you kidding me? Like, look, look at what we stepped into as a result. And so God was with James. So don't like when you read that passage, you're like, man, it's messed up for James. God was with James. God was with Peter in a different way. He had a purpose and plan and a call in his life. Look at verse five. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So Peter's in a real rough spot, but he has a group of intercessors and he has a group of prayer warriors and he has the early church just huddled up at Mary's house, just praying for him. And, and man, it's such, it's just a reminder that prayer is what God uses. Prayer opens doors. Only God can open when you're at the end of yourself. And if you haven't gotten there, you will. When you're at the end of yourself, physically, emotionally, mentally, when you've exhausted all the options that you have, prayer is the means by which God moves in powerful ways in the world. And a lot of times we try and do it in our own strength. We try and do it in our own, I'm going to control the situation or I'm strong enough rather than having a pray, and, a pray first mentality. But prayer uh, allows for Peter's release. And so, but they pray, they don't just pray, they pray earnestly. And so some, some people pray and then they fall asleep while they're praying. Some people pray and they pray rehearsed prayers that you learn when you're in pre-K. That's a good place to start. I'm not dogging it. I'm just saying, like, if you, like what are, just start somewhere. But, like, they prayed earnestly, like, face down, ugly cry. Like, just they're praying. They're, like, after it praying. They, they, they're doing business praying. And so, and, and all while they're doing it, Peter's sleeping. And he's between two guards. He's chained to two guards. And an angel shows up in a bright light and wakes Peter up, nudges Peter, chains fall off. He's like, get dressed, follows the angel out of prison. And the whole time Peter thinks I'm in a dream. This is a vision. This is weird. This is, there's no way this is real. And so have you ever been, have you ever fallen asleep somewhere? Like you go on vacation or you go some, somewhere new and you fall asleep and you wake up and you freak out because you don't know where you're at. You know what I'm talking about? And so Peter's got that moment where he's like, have you ever had that moment where you fall asleep and you wake up, you don't know where you're at, and then like an angel's nudging you, and there's like a bright light, and it's like, get dressed. And then you like get, no, I haven't either. It's like, but this is Peter, this is Peter's, Peter's like, this is, a, this is freaky. This is a dream, there's no way. And he's, he was there with Jesus, and he's experienced miraculous things, but even he in this situation is like, this is a vision, this is wild. Um, because angels show up, anytime angels show up in scripture, it's just, it's just wild. And what is the, what's the first thing an angel says in scripture? Don't be afraid, because 
because I mean, like it's it's crazy. And so he's like, "Hey, chill." And so he, the chains fall off. He starts to walk him out. Peter and this angel pass by the first set of guards, second set of guards. They come up to the iron, the iron gate leading to the city, and then it opens up by itself. And so, like you know, when you go to the grocery store and you step on the threshold and it opens up, and so it's like it's that it's that it's that moment. And they go in and they're walking along, and suddenly the angel's no longer there. And this is the moment that Peter's like, oh, snap. I'm like, I'm like outside of prison. And he comes to himself realizing that God's rescued him. And he goes straight to the prayer gathering. He goes straight to Mary's house. We're going to pick up in verse 12. It says, when it dawned on him, when he figured out what was going on, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance And the servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. What? She's crazy. She starts running around the house. She runs to the back of the room. She ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Meanwhile, Peter's at the door. He's like out exposed in the streets at night. He just got broke out of prison. And people, they're like, Rhoda, get the door. And so verse 15, they say, you're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was Peter, they said, oh, it must be his angel. Or your version may say, it's his ghost. And what's so crazy to me is the whole prayer gathering is about Peter. <laughs> and they're like praying for God to like move in powerful ways. And then Peter knocks on the door and they're like, nah, that's crazy. There's no way. <laughs> like, and it's so like, have you ever had God answer your prayer before? And then when he answered it, you're like, snap. That worked like that. So this is this is that moment for them. And, and when it comes to prayer, we need to have the faith to ask, but we also need to have the faith to receive. And for many of us, that's the gap. That's what we need to work on. You're not struggling in the area of asking. You're struggling in the area of receiving. When it's time, you got to have faith to receive what he wants to give you. And so for some of you, it's not an asking problem. It's a receiving problem. And Jesus tells us in John 16 that our joy is attached to both. To both. He says this in John 16. He says, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Hey, when you ask, make sure you do it in my name. Make sure you do it with my agenda on earth as it is in heaven is really my agenda. And hey, as you do it in my name, ask me for anything. And, and ask in my name. And then he says, you will receive. And then once you receive, your joy is complete. Your joy is subject for your faith to grow in the area of asking and in the area of receiving. And so look at verse 16. It says this, but Peter kept on knocking because he's still outside. <laughs> he's still outside in the street. And they opened the door and they saw him. They're astonished. Peter motion with his hands for them to be quiet because they're freaking out and he's like bro i just got let out pray like you know people are paying attention i just got let uh, like miraculously delivered don't jack it up and then uh he began to describe how the lord had brought him out of prison he tells james different james and the other brothers and sisters about this he says and then he left for another place and so several things, um, just observations around the prayer life of the early church and this passage, uh, an opportunity for us to grow in prayer. The first one is pray when you're worried. So we see it with this group of people. Peter's in prison. James is dead. James, the brother of John, is dead. Things are closing in, and they're afraid for the future of the movement. 
And to be honest with you, they're probably afraid for their own lives. Even spirit-filled people are human people and, and fearful of their lives, but they're also fearful of the mission and what God's asked them to do. And so, but I love that their response, what do I do with the fear? Because this is the human condition, right? What do I do with that? And their response is prayer. Like when I feel worried, when I feel anxious, when I feel fearful, I'm going to pray first. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, very familiar passage of scripture says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, key ingredient, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's a conditional promise. If you petition with prayer, thanksgiving, make your request known to God, then you will receive the peace of God and it will transcend anything you've ever experienced. He'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He will not answer your prayer the way, always the way that you want him to answer the prayer or in the timing that he wants you to answer the prayer. Here's the promise. You will have peace. He will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And he will stir your faith and your affection so that you can wait. While you're waiting on the answer to your prayer, he'll guard your heart and your mind. And so I love the way that Eugene Peterson, the, the guy who gives us the paraphrasing the message of Scripture, this is the way that he puts it in one of his books on the Psalms. He points out two types of prayers in the Psalms. He says that there's evening prayer and then there's a morning prayer. And an evening prayer is like this, like a Philippians, like a Philippians 4 type prayer. Hey, I'm going to petition. I have anxiety. I have worry. I have fear. That's an evening prayer, which is, you know, it makes sense. You're at the end of your day, stressful day crazy things at work. And then the psalmist says, at the end of your day, before you close your eyelids, when your head hits the pillow, exchange all of the worry, all the anxiety, all of the fear for peace. And you need to have that posture of prayer. For many of us, the last part of our day is spent scrolling. And, and, and I'm just based on statistics, like I don't, you think I'm looking into your soul right now. I'm not like, I'm just telling you based on statistics, 80 some percent of you put the phone next to the bed. 20 some percent of you sleep with the phone and you're like, don't look at them. You know what I mean? Like this is, but, but seriously, like this is where we live. And instead of, instead of ending our day, because all that does generally, if you're just sitting around scrolling is just like make you compare yourself to somebody else and make you even more anxious than you were before you laid down. Instead, spend 15 minutes with an evening prayer, just saying, God, here's where I'm worried. Here's where I'm anxious. Here's what I'm trying to hold in my own strength. I'm going to hand that to you. And in exchange, would you give me over to peace? David, he has this example. In Psalm 4, he does an evening prayer. In verse 8, as he closes out the prayer, he says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. For one who was consistently not safe by our standards or his circumstances didn't look that great, David realizes where the source of his security is, and it's not in his vocation, and it's not in his amount of resources, and it's not in his health, and it's not in any of the things that we think. He says, man, I'm going to have peace. Why? Because my God alone is the one that allows for me to dwell in a safe place. And so here's a question for us. What's your first response when you're afraid? What's your first response when you feel anxiety creeping? 
if you're like me, like I like to fix things, I like to control things, you know, I'm trying to like handle it in my own strength and it doesn't take very long for me to come to the end of myself. Are you running, do you, are, you, are you someone who runs from the problem? Are you a fighter, the, the fight or flight? Uh, and, and if we develop a pattern of evening prayer, we get to commit to the things, commit the things that you're worried about to God and then trust him through the process. And so I think in this season, especially, there's plenty of things for you to worry about. The fall is very full schedule wise. There's wars, there's natural disasters, there's inflation. Hello, we're already in elections. Whoa. And, you know, like all the things, there's plenty of things personally for you to navigate and places you got to be and priorities. If, to be honest, not so much priorities, but things you've committed to that if you were to even write down a list of priorities, it wouldn't be on there. But you've, you've, your, your calendar is full, so you're full of stress and anxiety. And so and, and we got to get to a place where we exchange worry and fear for peace and rest. So here's a hack. Just set a notification on your phone at night. And instead of just sitting there until, you know, the end of the day or watching whatever, like spend 15 minutes and then hand over things that you've been worried about and been stressed about and then watch God move in a powerful way. So just like evening prayer, there's morning prayer. And right after Psalm 4, there's Psalm 5. And Psalm 5 is like, we're going to war prayer. So morning prayer is intercessory prayer. I'm about to pray over everything that's going to happen in the day. You know what I'm talking about. I'm about to pray over everything that's going to happen in the day before it even happens. And I'm going to pray, God, that you would guard my heart and you would guard my mind. God, that you would, you know, help me to flee from temptation, that you would rob me in moments like that, that you would cover my family. Like, basically, you're just going to bat for yourself. But hear this. Hear this. You're going to bat for other people. Some of who don't even realize that you're going to bat for them. And I'm here today doing what I'm doing because other people prayed me here. No joke. Like I literally, I didn't, there was seasons where I didn't have the faith for myself or couldn't see for myself. And, and I know now like just all the things that God accomplishes through prayer. And what we see in the early church, they, they prayed when they were worried, but they also, they pray with purpose. And so morning prayer looks like a prayer with purpose. So evening prayer, hey, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm fretful. Morning prayer is let's get after it. And so what do we find the church praying about in the book of Acts over and over again? And, and, and I'm not making light of the things that you're navigating or the things I'm, I'm, I'm navigating because God cares about even the smallest details of your life. But what you don't hear the early church praying about is like, God, I just really, you know, I need this particular amount of income or I need this particular job or Hey, you know, if we could take that trip, that'd be great. I had this old boat. Can I get a new one? Like, you know, like, uh, you know, like things like that versus they're praying about the missional like focus of, hey, God, these are the things that we really want you to do. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the agenda of the early church. And so what if that's what consumed most of our thought life and our prayer life was the phrase on earth as it is in heaven? So think about this, in my marriage as it is in heaven, in my home as it is in heaven, in, in the locker room as it is in heaven, on the ball field as it is in heaven, in the boardroom as it is in heaven, in the community as it, in school as it is in heaven, hello. In Congress, hello, as it is in heaven. Like anywhere you go, anywhere you go, basically just usher in, be salt and light. That's our job as followers of Jesus. And our agenda is help me to usher in. God, help me to have the focus and the, the vision, the clarity, uh, help me to see people the way that you see people. Yes, and, and I want my prayer life to reflect that. Prayer is warfare. 
And we as a church, we're called to pray and go to bat for the things of God in the lives of people that are close to you, in the lives of people who maybe don't even realize that you're praying for them, or if they knew, they wouldn't even want you to pray for them, right? And so, like, but that's who we're going to bat for. And so application, if the first one's setting, setting a notification on your phone, hey, before you get, go to bed, begin to pray, application here is get a prayer journal. If you don't have one, when's the last time you took inventory of the things that God's already, you prayed for things, God's already answered those prayers, and you haven't taken time to even take inventory of the things that God's done. Begin to write down the list, the names of people in your life that you want to intercede for, pray for, people people that matter, people that are really close to you, people that you've come into contact. I mean, it can be, you can have met them once and you're, and you're already interceding for them, just whatever God gives you direction, but get a prayer journal. If you haven't filled one out, we have prayer cards. There's a whole team of people who pray over prayer cards. So not only is it you praying over that situation, now it's a group of people praying with you on your behalf. Take a minute today and write down the names of someone who you know needs physical healing. Someone who you know needs emotional healing. Someone who is far from God doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And then invite other people to intercede. Like with a morning prayer, people will go to war with you. Yes, sir. And then watch God what only, only, only God can do. He'll do things in their lives that only he can get credit for. But we just got to grow in the discipline and the care for And even the belief. Like the fact that you write it down means you believe he yeah. can do it. <laughs> In the same way, the fact that you, I mean, it's anything in our life. If, if we're giving our time, our energy, our talent, our treasure to a thing, if we're putting our weight on it, it's an indication of our level of faith. And so do we take the time to do it? Be praying for people. If you're, if you're someone who has the gift of prayer, because biblically that's a gift, someone who has real focus on prayer. You meet those people, they're just like, they pray for everything. They pray for every time they meet you, they're just like, can I pray for you? It's like, yeah, you should pray for me. Like five minutes ago, we pray. Let's do it again. And so, but if you're that person, we have a prayer team and we're growing in the area of prayer and we want to pray for people in our church family who need prayer. We also have a prayer team that literally while we're meeting in service, they're just interceding for you, praying for the service because we believe again, there's things that only God can do. It doesn't matter how, how much I wax eloquent. It doesn't matter how much head knowledge. It doesn't matter how great the music is or any of the other things. If God doesn't move, it's a waste. And so we have a group of people who are praying for you and believing things for you in the service as it's going on. It's wild. It reminds me, uh, Spurgeon is one of my favorite um, characters in the history of the local church, and he's this pastor out in England, and he had this crazy revival. Thousands of people came to faith in Christ, big church, tabernacle, had a, had a guy from the U.S. go and visit him one time, and he was like, what is going on? Like, what is in the water over here? I mean, is it the preaching? Like, what's the deal? And he took him underneath the church, and he opened up the door. There's 300 people praying while church was going on. He said, this is the boiler room. And it's like... That's the type of approach that we should have to prayer. God, there's things that only you can do. And so what part can you play in that? Who can be praying for? And uh, some, sometimes you'll hear people say that prayer is really just about changing you. They may say prayer doesn't change the situation. It changes you, but it can do both. It's not an either or in God's economy. It's both and. Yes, he desires to change you. That's the whole point that you're praying. You're a part of the activity. But he also, you, God will respond to prayer. Uh, John, John Wesley, he puts it this way. I'm convinced that God does nothing except an answer to prayer. There's all kinds of biblical precedent. So Joshua, for example, asked for the sun to stand still. And then it did. <laughs> 
Uh, Moses asked for God to spare people, not just a few, but like a multitude. And he did. Jairus asked Jesus to heal his little girl and he resurrects her from the dead. Hannah prays for a son. She gets one. Zachariah prays to meet the Messiah before he dies. And he's real old whenever Jesus rolls up on the scene. But he, he gets that answer to prayer and he begins to wake, break out in worship. Hezekiah wept and prayed and asked God to let him live longer. And God was like, cool. And then he lived 15 more years. Uh, Jonah prayed in the belly of a fish and then as after his prayer he spit out on a dry land and he's delivered and then uh, and then his life and even his ministry is a nod to is a nod to Jesus God uses prayer in crazy ways and so um, just begin to ask yourself you know what am I praying for what are my prayers like do I pray the same things over and over again what what untapped potential lies in my unspoken prayers what are the, am I praying for things that are safe or am I praying bold prayers that like if the only way for this to work out is for God to move in this area? And are they missional? Is it primarily selfish? And so are they, you know, are, are they, uh, do, I have, do I have a part to play in my prayers? Because a lot of us will pray about things, but then we'll do nothing We'll do, we'll do nothing in preparation for God to move in those areas of our life. For example, James says, faith without works is dead. So some of us love to pray about things. You've been praying about that same thing for like three years. It's like time to do something around that thing. You know what I mean? Like this. So, for example, uh, blessing is a great example. People love to say the blessing. I think blessing is great. I've, I preached on this before, and people stop saying the blessing. I'm not saying don't stop saying the blessing. I'm just saying a lot of times we'll pray like regurgitated prayers or obligatory prayers rather than really having a conversation with God. But we'll pray about things and, and we're eating the worst food ever. And they were like, Lord bless it. It's like, that's a, that's a, that's like a two pound hamburger with some bacon and some cheese and some fried, all the things. And you're like, Lord, if you just bless this to my body, Lord. And he's like, my man, we have, I made broccoli. You know what I'm saying? Like I have salad, like just, that's not the way that works. Like, Lord, if you just change the molecular structure of my food, Lord. Take this over 2,100 calories to 200 calories, Lord, in Jesus' name. Ha! Ah, you know, like, if, and, and he's like, what are you doing? And, and then pe students, great example. So, again, we have a part to play in our faith, which is like, you know, eat better. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, and, and the, same thing for, the same thing for students, <laughs> great example, is uh, when you're in school and it comes exam time. Hello. Your prayer life goes up. Listen, when you get turbulence, when you get real turbulence on a plane, people be praying. Atheists are like, ooh, like they're like, they're like, and, and, uh, and then when it's exam time, when it's exam time, students pray, oh Lord. You know what I mean? You ain't prayed in a year. Oh Jesus. If you would just put the numbers in my head, I will give my life to missions. You know what I mean? Like you're just, and he's like, I have given you a book and a teacher and a brain and some time, study yourself approved. You're going to get a D. Like, you're going to learn a hard lesson in Jesus' name. And so he's like, hey, you have a part to play. And prayer is this way. And so, so I'm not saying don't do anything because we love to talk to people and they're like, hey, I'll pray about that. No, <laughs> they didn't pray about They didn't pray about that. They just don't want to. That was AKA, I don't want to do anything with that. And so, but like, you have a part to play in what God's asking you to do. But then you're going to come to the end of yourself pretty quick and you realize, man, there's so much that's outside of me. So many variables I can't control, so many unknowns, 
Some, and God, I just need you to move on my behalf. I just can't, I can't do it anymore. And that's exactly where we see, that's where we see Peter in this passage. They pray with real purpose. They're missionally focused. And they're active in it. They're not passive. They're standing up and boldly talking about Jesus. They're giving all their assets and resources towards the mission. Some of them are giving their lives towards the mission. They're literally orienting their lives around the gospel moving forward. So it's not like they're passive in what they're doing. But they're also praying, God, would you do what only you can do? And so while we pray on purpose, we also need to pray with persistence. This is the last one. So pray with persistence. And I feel like this is an area of growth for a lot of us, too, because some of us, maybe we're doing a good job of praying on purpose, but maybe we've given up in some areas. And persistence is just an indication of just great faith. It's just that, God, you got to make something happen. And, and we're not going to let you go until you open the doors, bless our efforts, overcome our enemies, help your agenda and your mission to move forward. God, we need you to move in this way. And I know there's times in our life where God will give you like a clear no. Like he'll give you an answer. He'll say no. You'll ask him. He's like, no. Or, or he'll give you an, a different answer maybe than the one that you were seeking after. But, um, but in general, I think we just give up too early. We give up way too early. Um, Spurgeon, again, I've already referenced him, but I'm going to quote this. He says, some fruit you have to just keep shaking to get down. I think about people that have been prayed for um, for decades and who come to faith in Christ later in life because loved ones have been interceding and have been persistent in their prayer life. But And you and I know this to be true, that persistent people, like, get responded to. How many, how many moms we got? Raise your hands, moms. Raise your hands. Let's go. You know what I'm talking about if you're a mom. Say, mom, 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 mama, mommy. Janet, you know, they just kind of like, they just keep calling your name and you can respond the first time or the 12th or the 472nd time they say your name. But at some point you're like, what? Like, you know, you're going to respond to what they're asking. The same thing. And we see this biblically. This is how God, like God is after that. He wants to know from a faith standpoint that you're willing to persist, that you care enough because that's exemplary of faith. Like, I'm willing to, again, I'm putting my time on it. And I'm willing to just keep showing back up and just keep asking you. Yes, sir. Uh, I think about, like, even this venue that we're sitting in right now. Because people are like, y'all got a cool venue. I was told no four times before I was told yes. Come on. And so it's like, you just got to keep. And they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, like, you know, just gotta, you keep, keep going different angles. You know what I'm saying? Like, just be persistent in your prayers. I've already quoted the great Spurgeon. I got another theologian. Steve Martin says this, thankfully, persistence is a great substitute for talent. And it is. You, you look at people who are succeeding in anything in life. This is true spiritually, too. They're persistent people. They just keep showing up. That's half the battle. Just keep rolling up. Just keep showing up. Just keep persisting. Just keep praying. Just keep asking for God to move. He'll bring clarity. He'll answer. He'll give you direction. And sometimes... You just have to have the faith to persist and have the faith to trust not to give up. It's one thing to pray and believe and trust early on over a specific area of your life. And it's an, it's an entirely different thing. It's a more rich and mature thing to pray and believe over a long period of time. 
And so if the answer has, if you just feel like God's been silent in a specific area of your life as you've been praying and asking him to move, just keep praying. And sometimes the most, the most spiritually mature, the most spiritually rich people are people who haven't gotten an answer of a particular thing and it's built and formed them into the person that's dependent, that's trusted Christ over decades over a particular area of their life. They still don't have an answer for it. And yet it's just built a faith over, over the course of the long haul. I'm thinking about, again, people who have prayed over family members over the years to watch God move in their lives, sometimes decades after they started praying. I'm thinking about people who battled illness and prayed and believed for deliverance in later stages of the illness like they did early on. I'm thinking about people like Peter who look at the situation and go, on paper, this is impossible. Relationally, it's done. We're never going to have a relationship again on paper. Financially, I'm over. Never going to be able to, to rebound. Purpose, gone. It, I'm too old, too old, too far gone, not good enough, like you, whatever the things are, on paper. But then they look at the situation and say, this is an impossible situation, but I serve a God of the impossible. And I serve a God who does only what he can do when I pray. And when I pray, when I'm worried, and when I pray, purpose, and when I pray with, with persistence, if I'm, if I'm just continually coming after it, but you got to keep praying. And so here's the question as we wrap up. What have you stopped praying for? What have you stopped persisting in? What have you stopped believing for? What have you just written off? You're just resolved to just like, we're just, that's just the way it's going to be till I die. And then maybe in the new heaven, new earth, new creation, God can do something about it. As if he can't do something about it right now. And as if he doesn't want to give you over to an abundant life now. And so just keep praying, keep persisting, keep showing up. This is what we see as the model for the early church in the area of prayer. We need a more robust prayer life. We're not asking enough. We're not seeking enough. We're not praying in alignment with his mission enough. And when he answers the prayer, we're bad at receiving. And, and so we got to get better at it as a church so that we can equip other people because uh, eternity's at stake for so many people that you and I know outside of the walls of, of what we're doing and people who are out in the community who desperately need uh, the message and the hope of Jesus. And this early group is willing to do whatever it takes. And this early group is willing to pray and intercede. And this early group are willing to meet people where they're at. But like, it's going to take God doing what only he can do in our hearts and in our lives in order to get us there. Amen. Awesome. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for today. God, grateful for your word, grateful for a time we get to spend as a church family. And uh, God, as we pray, um, help us to just be reminded of what a gift this moment is and how we so often go through the motions and that it's less about a, a particular space or a particular rhythm or a particular physical posture of, of closing our eyes and bowing our heads and more of, of, of conversing with you. You have invited us into a relationship and you're with us all the time. And we just forget and we just go through life like we don't need you or like you don't care. And we go through life and we're, we're handling our own stress and our own issues and our own problems instead of coming to you in prayer. God, help us to, to be like the church in Acts, set apart in the area of prayer, fully dependent on you when we're anxious and when we're worried and when our situation looks bleak, we go there first. 
and help us to be a people who are missionally driven, a people who are persistent in what, we, what we're asking for, and, and a people dependent on you. Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do in helping people to see all the missed opportunities, all the opportunity for growth, all the places that we settle, that we need to grow in the area of prayer. You want to meet with us, and we're too busy. You can, you can accomplish more in 10 minutes of prayer than we can in our own effort for a week. Would you slow us down? Would you speak to us? Would you give us ears to hear? If you're here and you have never surrendered your life, never given your, your life over to Jesus, Jesus loves you. He came. He died in your place. He offers you forgiveness of sins and extends grace to you. And then he, he was raised from the dead three days later so that he could have victory over death and hell, but also so that we could as well. And then he invites us into this conversation. He gives us over. He says, hey, no longer do you need a priest or somebody to pray on your behalf. I'm your high priest. Here's how much prayer matters to God. Jesus is interceding for you right now. And so if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm not talking about religious activity. I'm not talking about being in and around the church. I'm talking about being in a real relationship with him, taking your pasts, taking your sins, your brokenness, the things you've been struggling with, the things you've been trying to manage in your own religious effort, and instead just saying, Jesus, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. And, and through the power of prayer, Jesus has already saved you, but the moment that you realize who he is for who he is, it's your faith and it's you asking, it's you asking and you confessing him as Lord. God, I need a savior. I need a Lord. Jesus, would you take over? And so if that's you today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and you want, you want to give your life to Christ, would you just lift your hand in the room and just say, I need that. I need to come alive in Jesus. I want to experience salvation in him. I'm ready to surrender my life. Amen. Is there anybody else? If that's you, just lift your hand. Just say, I need that. That's from me. Amen. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. If that's you, for anybody who's making that decision, for anyone who feels, man, God has served my faith and my affection for Christ. He's lifted my head. I'm seeing who I am now in relationship to him. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm taking my sin and my brokenness and my failures. God, I'm taking my fear and past, present, and future. I'm putting that at your feet. Would you lord over my life moving forward? Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for extending me grace. And God, would you help me to just be dependent on you moving forward. Give me over to this gift of prayer, over to this dependency on you. I'm so excited for the ways you're going to move in and through my life. I'm so grateful for this moment that you see me, that you love me, that you call me by name, and I'm your son and I'm your daughter. And I desire to step into this new relationship with you. Change me from the inside out. Lord, we love you. We celebrate you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said Amen and amen. Church, can we give it up for anybody who's made a decision to surrender their life to Jesus? Can we, can we stand to our feet? We're going to end the day in worship together. Team's going to lead us. Just a reminder, a posture of gratitude, a posture of worship, just thanking Jesus for what he's done.